Section 7 of The Major Symptoms of Hysteria This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Major Symptoms of Hysteria by Pierre Janet Lecture 7 Paralyses Diagnosis The Clinical Study of Hysteric Paralyses The Beginning of These Paralyses Traumatic Neuroses the most frequent types of paralysis the diagnosis of hysterical paralyses the intrinsic characters the localization and form of the paralysis the examination of the reflexes the value of the different signs the extrinsic characters the modification of sensibility the description of hysteric anesthesia fashions prevail in medical studies as in costumes at one time one problem raises general enthusiasm and everybody gives it his exclusive attention forgetting all the others twenty years ago it was hysteric somnambulism that was in fashion nowadays one seems very much behind the age when one speaks of somnambulism the latest fashion is to apply oneself only to the study of hysteric paralysis let us follow the fashion and reflect for a time on this curious problem of physiology and psychology this lecture will be devoted to the study of hysterical paralysis from the clinical point of view the next lecture will analyze the psychological features of paralysis and anesthesias the hysteric are capable of completely paralyzing a part of their body you know what i mean by such an expression i need only state that patients who have had the accidents we spoke of before fits of all kinds simple or complicated somnambulism careers of a special kind mysterious contractures like those we have seen may besides have paralytic accidents it does not mean that a paralysis that presents itself in a woman who has had fits and somnambulism is necessarily a hysteric paralysis obeying the psychological laws of this kind of disease it even seems to be the clearest result of the present studies which have spread everywhere nowadays to show us that it is not always so that often very often even the paralysis that appears is a commonplace paralysis corresponding to a cerebral or medullary lesion the diagnosis to be made is exceedingly difficult and important but it is nevertheless true that in a certain number of cases these subjects have paralyses analogous to their other accidents whose evolution is the same and whose diagnosis and nature we must study one these paralyses appear in about the same circumstances as the other phenomena they are always brought about by an accident which while very slight in itself is accompanied by a violent moral emotion and by disturbances of the imagination one of the oldest cases and a very interesting one from a historical point of view is quite typical i allude to the observation of estelle which originated the remarkable book of an old magnetizer monsieur despindex in 1840 a girl twelve years old had fallen into a passion and against her mother's will had quarrelled and fought with one of her little friends in the heat of the fight she had been knocked to the ground and had fallen rather violently on her posterior this fall had been complicated by an aggravating circumstance namely her frock had been much dirtied in a particularly significant part the pain was slight and did not prevent the girl from getting up again and returning home but what is essential is that she experienced a feeling of shame of fright and tried to hide her fault the next day began a complete paralysis of both legs a serious paraplegy which lasted eight years bear this in mind eight years paralysis of the lower limbs for having fallen lightly on her backside such facts were hardly known at that time to any but to those strange magnetizers 
the same authors of whom we spoke lately brodie todd duchenne de boulogne russell reynolds charcot oppenheim and all the modern authors were the ones who began to study what was first called traumatic neuroses indeed traumatic accidents are among the most frequent causes railway catastrophes give rise to many of these accidents and some physicians had even adopted the expression of railway spine falls from carriages from horseback and shocks received in battles are their most common origin for instance a drunken carter falls from his box on his right arm and presents a paralysis of this arm a man of eighteen falls in a staircase on his back the consequence is a paralysis of the legs and a contracture of the lumbar muscles often the shock is only imaginary the celebrated patient who appears in the first lessons of charcot thinks he has been wounded by a carriage which did not run over him one of the last observations i have noted is very strange a man travelling by rail had done an imprudent thing while the train was running he had got down on the step in order to pass from one door to the other when he became aware that the train was about to enter a tunnel it occurred to him that his left side which projected was going to be knocked slantwise and crushed against the arch of the tunnel this thought caused him to swoon away but happily for him he did not fall on the track but was taken back inside the carriage and his left side was not even grazed in spite of this he had a left hemiplegy other circumstances may act similarly as for instance fatigues especially when located in a limb a house painter felt his hand very tired while painting a ceiling and presented a severe paralysis of his right hand i found it likewise in a girl who was learning the violin in those who had tired their hands on the piano but here again to the fatigue must be added an emotional state as in this classical observation of ferré a girl who tires herself in learning a piece on the piano is seized with the paralysis of her right hand at the moment when she is to play this piece at a ceremony the part of emotion is so great that it may be sufficient when added to a purely imaginary fatigue as in this other observation of ferré a girl dreams at night that she is pursued by a man and that she runs very fast in the streets of paris she dreams that she is exhausted with fatigue though she has not moved the next day she is none the less paraplegic lastly there are some paralyses that follow somnambulisms and crises without our knowing very well for what reason but as we shall see later on they affect limbs formerly paralyzed or having in them causes of decay rachitic deformation old scars varices etc the paralyses thus brought about may be very various for the present i only point out to you those most common and most anciently studied i reserve others for the end of this study because they are particularly interesting as regards the interpretation the most common hysteric paralyses seem to be analogous to the great organic paralyses the most frequent the most carefully studied nowadays is great hemiplegy in which one half of the body is completely paralyzed usually it is true hysteric paralysis strikes the limbs rather than the face but the rule is not absolute when the paralysis is in the right side for instance the face and speech may be paralyzed as well as the arm and leg here is a girl of nineteen already neuropathic and daughter of an epileptic mother who lost her father a fortnight ago the poor girl supported him with her right arm during his agony on the very evening of the day on which he died she felt exhausted with fatigue especially in her right side and her right leg trembled when she tried to support herself on it she could not sleep thinking every moment she saw and heard her father the next morning she had a pain in her abdomen the menstrual discharge reappeared out of its period the weakness in the right side had increased on the third day the right arm and leg could still move but trembled continually 
on the following day the right hemiplegia was complete and speech was entirely lost after a fortnight the movements were little by little completely restored i will observe to you here that this hemiplegia may appear in a more dramatic manner after a convulsive fit or a profound sleep which then absolutely simulates the apoplectic stroke in such cases the diagnosis is very delicate though the hypothesis of a hemiplegia and a hysteric sleep is difficult and rare you must however think of it not long ago i recognized an accident of this kind in a man sixty years old who at first sight looked quite as if he had had an apoplexy the second severe and frequent form is paraplegy in which both legs are completely paralyzed this accident often appears when an individual is seized with an emotion while walking it is about what english physicians call the giving way of the legs a young woman of twenty-five what is strange is that she was a nurse who as such ought to have known better was one evening crossing a dormitory she saw a patient in a crisis of somnambulism getting up and going about wrapped up in a sheet she took her for a phantom was terribly frightened felt her legs shake under her and fell down without being able to get up again she remained paraplegic for several months you must also beware of these paraplegies after childbirths and after somewhat long diseases in which the subjects have remained long in bed the third form will be monoplegy which strikes a limb or a segment of a limb for these paralyses may be very limited with the painter i spoke of it affected only the right wrist in other cases it affects the articulation of the elbow or the shoulder the foot or the whole of the leg a long discussion which is not yet quite settled bears upon the existence of hysteric facial paralyses charcot denied them and maintained that what was called a paralysis of the right side of the face was nothing but a contracture of the left side he only admitted in the face the existence of the glossolabiate spasm this opinion has been much contradicted and many cases of facial paralyses have been brought forward which seem to be typical for my part i do not see why paralysis of the eyelids mouth and cheek should not exist and i have recognized some cases of this disease which seem to be convincing lastly there may be paralyses of the trunk and i refer you to the most interesting in my opinion of the studies i have had the opportunity of making on this matter the subject is a girl who had fallen into a well and who after this accident presented a remarkable flaccidity of all the muscles of the trunk she was quite unable to stand or sit her head and body fell indifferently on every side at the same time she had a remarkable paralysis of the diaphragm on which we cannot insist for the present such are the chief forms presented by hysteric paralyses i must now somewhat insist on their diagnosis which is of capital importance for you two the diagnosis of hysteric paralyses can be made in two manners first in an extrinsic manner which was formerly considered as the more important in this case you examine the symptoms that are foreign to the paralysis itself the disturbances of the sensibility the disturbances of the intelligence the simultaneous phenomena the circumstances of the appearance etc secondly you can make this diagnosis by an intrinsic examination which chiefly takes into account the paralysis itself and its clinical characteristics this second method appears nowadays to be more accurate and scientific and is often preferred as i told you the fashion nowadays requires that you should discover the curious little modifications of the reflexes which may characterize a paralysis without having to make any inquiry of the patient or those around him let us then first give our attention to those intrinsic characters since at the present time they are considered as more serious you may first in certain cases take into account the localization and form of the paralyses 
an austrian author professor freud has insisted a great deal on this point hysteric paralysis never affects only one muscle it is always a paralysis in a mass which strikes a group of muscles do not suppose that every group of muscles may be thus affected the group that is affected is always one that is necessary to a function of a part of the body yet the paralysis does not extend beyond the limit of the muscles necessary for the functioning of this part of the body it does not easily encroach upon other regions it is otherwise in all organic paralyses a lesion of a nerve may affect only certain muscles a lesion of a nervous plexus affects several muscular groups for instance in the paralysis of the leg brought about by hysteria the thigh and buttock are affected but the sacral region and the genital region are intact which is not the case in spinal paralyses the same author remarks further that hysteric paralysis is often seated in the extremities of the limbs only which does not happen in organic paralyses the latter more often affecting segments that are near the centre notice also that hysteric paralysis is exaggerated always carried to an extreme which is very rare in organic paralyses a man whose hemiplegy is consequent on a cerebral hemorrhagy can still move a little and make some efforts to conceal his paralysis one in whom hemiplegy is due to hysteria has no longer a shadow of a movement in his diseased side hence comes this difference in the gait which todd and charcot formerly pointed out and for which they invented rather barbarous greek words the subject affected with organic hemiplegy they said has a helicopod walk he walks helically throwing his paralyzed leg sideways by a movement of his loins the subject affected with hysteric hemiplegy has a helicopod walk he drags his paralyzed leg in walking as if he did not trouble himself about it in the least as if it no longer existed at all to these positive characteristics are added negative characteristics hysteric hemiplegy is not accompanied by any other serious disturbances in the diseased limb in particular there is no atrophy or at least a very long time is required for it to appear after the period of immobility so you must always carefully measure the two limbs of the patient the existence of a notable atrophy will help you to recognize certain lesions of the medulla or brain nor are there any disturbances of the electric reactions the reaction called reaction of degeneration which is so rapid in certain forms of medulla lesions does not exist in hysteric paralysis we come at last to the question of the reflexes now considered as very important chiefly it must be said on account of the studies of a french physician monsieur babinski who has devoted himself to this subject in a general way all the reflexes of a limb must remain normal in a hysteric paralysis this may easily be understood since these reflexes depend for the most part on lower medulla or cerebral centres which are supposed not to be affected with any disturbance on the contrary in an organic lesion a certain number of reflexes must always be injured because the lesion always bears more or less upon one of these centres you have first to consider the tenderness reflexes in the elbow wrist knee tendon of achilles they must not be suppressed as in tabies nor exaggerated as in cerebral hemorrhagy or in the lesions of the pyramidal tract you will seek especially in the foot for the epileptoid trepidation the clonus determined by the sudden raising of the foot which appertains exclusively to the lesions of this pyramidal tract does not exist in hysterical paralysis you will also examine the cutaneous reflexes for instance babinski has shown the very important sign given by the toes when the ball of the foot is slightly rubbed with a pin in normal adults for there are some irregularities in children the toes bend together towards the sole of the foot in the lesions of the medulla on the contrary 
you observe a raising and extension of the toes but nothing like this can be observed in hysteria excitation of the skin in different regions of the body on the internal face of the thighs on the abdomen on the neck determine in a normal man contractions of the possier muscles that is to say the muscles of the skin which disappear in organic accidents and not at all in neuropathic phenomena don't forget to examine carefully the reflexes of the pupils to light to accommodation the slightest disturbances of these reflexes must put you on your guard you know that the least alteration of these reflexes strongly inclines you to admit organic lesions either those of tabes or those of syphilitic meningitis lastly babinski has shown the importance of the preservation of the muscular tonus in hysterical paralyses he insisted too with great accuracy on the preservation of certain unconscious movements produced by association in these apparently paralyzed limbs this fact is analogous to the observation of the preservation of certain subconscious sensations in spite of hysterical anaesthesia that we have to study in the following lecture according to these authors this ensemble of signs is absolutely characteristic and it is possible to recognize a hysteric hemiplegy solely through this objective examination which requires nothing of the patient's psychological observation the thing is perfect theoretically but practically it is much more difficult than is supposed most of the signs we have spoken of when treating of the localization of paralysis either are indecisive or apply but to quite particular cases the signs of the reflexes are much more important but can we absolutely trust them first of all we must eliminate the signs derived from the mere exaggeration of the tenderness reflexes you cannot eliminate hysteria merely because a patient throws his leg upward too strongly after the shock of the rotulo tendon for this exaggeration of the reflex is exceedingly difficult to appreciate and very irregular a very great number of subjects when a little moved or nervous throw their legs too strongly upward when their knee is struck it may be said that one should distinguish the real reflex which is quick and simple from the semi-voluntary semi-emotional movement which is added to it and which is too tardy too long too much generalized all this is true enough but in practice i defy you to make the distinction and moreover i am inclined to believe that in hysteric and neurasthenic patients there is often a real exaggeration of the reflexes which is perhaps due to a diminution of cerebral inhibition the sign of the clonus of the foot has more importance the significance is much discussed at the present time and several authors point out cases of unquestionably hysteric paralyses in which it has been met with some authors maintain that if they take the graphic of the shake with the registering apparatus they recognize the regularity of the organic clonus in contradistinction to the irregularity of the hysteric clonus but this is not quite certain babinski's sign of the toes is exceedingly interesting in reality you need not hesitate when it manifests itself clearly i don't think it has yet been distinctly observed in a hysteric paralysis but it is an irregular sign which often fails totally many subjects do not react at all or react by a retraction in a mass of the leg the pupillary reflexes are likewise of capital importance be always on your guard when you meet with the sign of argyle robertson but this sign is not absolutely characteristic either first of all many neuropathic patients have pupillary dilatation then in some hystericals there are contractures of the iris with dilatation or meiosis which prevent the reflexes from taking place easily and may again be causes of error in a word it is certain that the intrinsic examination gives us exceedingly valuable indications the invasion of the face the disturbances of speech the clonus 
the signs of the toes the pupillary disturbances are strongly in favor of an organic lesion unfortunately they are not absolutely certain signs and i think one is quite wrong in making things more difficult than they are in refusing the unquestionable services rendered to diagnosis by much more characteristic extrinsic signs three the most important extrinsic sign of all is derived from the examination of sensibility the modifications of which are of the greatest importance in hysteria we already met with them when studying careers and contractures we observed that the hysteric patient often appears not to know what is going on in her arm or her leg that she does not feel the fatigue of her protracted shakes or contractions and that what is more she may not feel the movement of which her arm is the seat this anaesthesia is still more characteristic in paralyses we must therefore insist now on its study for a long time physicians had had some vague notions about the odd insensibilities of these patients you know that in the middle ages people recognized witches and possessed persons by seeking on their bodies for what was called the claw of the devil it was a more or less extensive part of the skin in which the subject was insensible to any touch or prick the expert entrusted with this work would close the eyes of the subject and armed with a sharp needle prick here and there the different parts of the body the sufferer was to answer with a cry to each prick and the claw of the devil on a certain spot was recognized from the fact that he did not cry when this spot was examined later on sydenham in sixteen eighty one then louis Vierme in eighteen sixteen georget in eighteen twenty four landouzy in eighteen forty six later still briquet charcot and all the modern authors have strongly insisted on all the varieties of this phenomenon for the present we shall attend to the indications that anaesthesia can give us as regards the diagnosis of hysteric paralyses and especially to its seat and depth this insensibility must be sought for this purpose in three organs on the skin on the mucous membranes and in the muscles it may indeed extend either over the cutaneous coat of the limb or over the accessible mucous membranes of the natural orifices or it may bear upon the sensations of motion and upon the notion of the position of the limbs in the first case we have to examine the skin and mucous membranes as regards contact by passing our finger or a blunt instrument over them we may hope to obtain more accurate results by the use of the aesthesiometer which shows us how the subject recognizes the differences of sensation depending on the different spots of the skin you will examine on these same regions the temperature sensations by alternately applying on the skin unknown to the subject a cold and a warm object lastly you will examine the sense of pain by pinching by sticking in a needle or by using one of the various algesimeters you will thus find that these various sensibilities may completely disappear either simultaneously or separately it is not rare to find absolute insensibility of the skin accompanying hysteric paralysis you will then examine the so-called muscular sensibility by displacing the limb in different ways and asking the subject to describe these positions and movements without looking at them or better still to reproduce them with his uninjured arm here again you will often find in hysteric paralyses complete insensibility to position the subject no longer possessing any information about his diseased limb the existence of such anaesthesias already gives you an important piece of information no doubt anaesthesia exists in organic lesions but it is much rarer and in general not nearly so deep as in hysteric affections further it is easy to acknowledge that the anaesthesia when it is connected with hysteria presents certain characters that are not to be found when the insensibility depends on organic affections of the nervous system one of the characteristics of this anaesthesia and one that plays a most important part in the diagnosis 
has been well illustrated by charcot and nowadays still appears to us to be very significant the localization or the place of this insensibility charcot used to say that in hysteric paralyses anaesthesia takes the form of geometric segments meaning that it is terminated by distinct regular lines assuming definite forms which can be foreseen of course when the hemiplegia is complete and the hemianesthesia is also complete the form is very clear but has no great significance it stops just at the median line of the body dividing into two equal parts the forehead nose mouth breast and abdomen figure eight this section is curiously regular on the one side the skin is absolutely insensible as well as the mucous membranes and as we shall see later on the organs of the senses on the other side the sensibility is intact you may barely observe some transition some degradation on the median line of the body on one side the subject feels nothing on the other she feels quite normally it is true even of the mouth and tongue the separating line is found on the palate and tongue this hemianesthesia exists also in certain forms of organic lesions in certain lesions of the internal capsule one may at most say that it is rare and that in general the separation is not so clear that there is a broader line of demarcation with confused sensibility one may say too that usually the troubles of sensibility are more severe in the extremities than at the root of the limbs instead of being regularly the same in all parts as in hysteria but of course in this case the form of the anesthesia will not give you much information in the other paralyses the form of the anesthesia is more instructive it seems to terminate precisely enough above the paralyzed organ by a nearly circular line traced by the plane perpendicular to the axis of the limb thus a paralysis of the hand brings about an anesthesia of the hand extending up to the wrist and terminated by a line in the form of a bracelet figure nine an anesthesia of the whole of the arm is limited by a line including the shoulder passing a little under the armpit in the form of a jacket sleeve as charcot used to say a paralysis of the foot brings about a sock or a stocking of anesthesia a paralysis of the leg gives birth to an anesthesia in the form of a leg of mutton which generally spares the anus and the genitals figure nine now these forms of anesthesia which look so simple are particularly extraordinary from a physiological point of view they by no means correspond to the distribution of the nerves or even of the nervous plexuses you know that the hand is innervated by three principal nerves the radial the median and the cubital a section of one of these nerves brings about a well-known anaesthesia of anatomic form corresponding to the distribution of the nerve you know for instance the old anaesthesia of the lesions of the cubital which only affects the little finger and the longitudinal half of the fourth figure ten it is not at all like our geometric segments in the case of a paralysis of the hand a lesion of the brachial plexus anaesthetizes only a part of the arm and the limit of the anaesthesia affects a special form because it reserves the sensibility of a portion of the shoulder above the deltoid which is innervated by the cervical plexus figure eleven a lesion of the sacral plexus brings about it is true the anaesthesia of the thighs on their internal face but affects the anus and the genitals on this distribution of the insensibilities and on the places of the reserved regions is founded the anatomic diagnosis of the lesions of the nerves and of the tumours of the medulla but it is not possible to connect the forms of anaesthesias we just observed in the hysteric paralyses with these forms given by the organic lesions this difficulty of localization was so great that briquet tried to make other hypotheses and asked himself whether the distribution of hysteric anaesthesias did not depend on the vascular circumscriptions 
on the circulation of the blood more than on the nervous circumscriptions now we see that such is not the case there is no arterial irrigation in the form of a wristband a jacket sleeve or a leg of mutton this form of anaesthesia is something quite peculiar i have tried formally to sum up these localizations of hysteric anaesthesia by a word that has had success the hysteric patient i said seems to attend to the popular conception of the organ rather than to its anatomic conception for the common people what is an eye it is the ensemble of the organs that feel the orbit eyelids included and in fact the hysteric person who has anaesthesia of the eyes has on her face as it were a pair of spectacles of anaesthesia figure nine affecting the two eyelids in their central part for the common people the hand terminates at the wrist they don't care if all the principal muscles that animate the hand and fingers are lodged beyond in the forearm the hysteric person who paralyzes her hand seems not to know that the immobility of her fingers is due in reality to a muscular disturbance in her forearm she stops her anaesthesia at the wrist as would the vulgar who in their ignorance say that if the hand does not move it is because the hand is diseased now this popular conception of the limbs is formed by old ideas we have about our limbs which we all keep in spite of our anatomic notions so these hysteric anaesthesias seem again to have something mental intellectual in them this characteristic though really very important might still however give rise to some cavilling there are in intoxications in alcoholism for instance insensibilities in the form of a sock or a boot in the medulla segmental localizations have been studied that may lead one to conceive anaesthesias of the same kind practically you will be right nine times out of ten in basing a diagnosis of hysteric paralysis on this geometric form of anaesthesia but in order to avoid the least chances of error we must insist on the last characteristic to which we have just come namely the mental character of this anaesthesia it is moreover this character which will enable us to arrive at a more intelligible conception of the paralysis itself such will be the object of our next lesson end of section seven